Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to begin today uh, with the same question that I began last week, because today is really just part two of uh, last week's message. And so last week, I got us to start thinking about uh, this question, what's your greatest goal while on earth? Have you had time to ponder on that since last week? And I wonder if you've found some clarity. Um, To put it a different way, uh, what's your happiest? This is what it's all about. Uh, How do you define that? This is what it's all about. And I'm certain, I hope you've had moments in life where it just naturally clicked. This is what it's all about. This is what makes me happy, what brings me joy. Now, it's important to be able to answer that question because uh, when you do, your answer is probably telling of what your goal in life is. Um, For our friends who are still seeking and searching, and and no matter where we're coming from uh, in our walk with Christ, or you're not walking with Christ yet, even perhaps you're just seeking and investigating, um, this question is important for everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike, because A, even if you believe life is only about this life, it's good to have that big picture, long-term perspective to guide you. But um, we're in church. We believe that there is God who created this uh, world, this universe. We believe in his son, Jesus, and his message, the gospel. And so God certainly, the way he describes life is that there is life beyond this life. And so all the more, as Christ followers, our answers Uh, should point to things beyond. Our our greatest goal in life should point to beyond this life, okay? And our happiest, this is what it's all about uh, as Christ followers, what should define and answer that question certainly should be beyond temporal things. To put it in different ways then, and and to try to connect it to you concretely, what are you building? Uh, What are you putting your energy, your time, your money, your efforts, Uh, What are you willing to sacrifice for? What are you working toward? The good news for the Christian is that we don't have to be confused about uh, the answers to these questions because God gives us the story. God gives us uh, what that long-term, eternal perspective uh, answer is to these questions, what we should be working towards even while we're on this earth. And in short... One of the most important goals for the Christ follower is to build up the church, is to build up Christ's church. Uh, and, and so we know the church's goal on earth, uh, part two today from these verses, and really it's just a continuation of last week's passage. Um, and we know that the church's goal on earth is to be built up into Christ. And so uh, my prayer for all of us is, uh, Lord, Am I doing my part to build up your church? Am I doing my part to build up your church? Now, to put it differently, another way, the other side of the same coin of that prayer is, Lord, in the face of differences, am I doing anything to be div- divisive? Okay? 
We all need to ask that question, myself included. Now, notice the question isn't saying that there can't be any differences. Differences are accepted as a reality even within the church. But in the face of differences, am I doing anything to be divisive? Because that is the diametric opposite of what we're called to do. One of our greatest goals as a Christ follower, to build up Christ's church. To remind us of what we mean by church then, imagine these blue circles, and of course there should be like thousands, uh, if not tens of thousands more, that represent every local church uh, on the earth. And the local church, just very literally, uh, in the most simplest terms, is the gathered people of God. And so I want to um, extend that definition uh, from last week and to say it's not only when we're congregated for worship on Sundays, on the Lord's Day like this, but anywhere where there are people whose motive and they're intentionally gathering as God's people, uh, they are church. And so in that sense, if you're together at a restaurant or you're in someone's backyard and you're intentionally there as Christ followers, as Christ family, you are being the church in that moment, okay? And your time together and how you spend time, it, it can also be a kind of worship. It doesn't have to be just Sunday structured liturgical worship. In that sense too then, I want you to, to understand that even family, your family, if, if your house chooses to serve the Lord, you are a little uh, representation, a little, little snippet of church. Okay? Now, local church then, all these little circles of local church, of course, that's we come together and then we make up at this point, exact point in time in history, the visible church on earth. And of course, that visible church of every Christian across the globe, they're part of even something greater, which is what we call the universal church. Uh, and this is all true believers for all time and will be finally gathered one day by Christ when he returns on that final day. Now, what I want you to appreciate is that how you make effort and energy, like the, the most direct concrete connection to building up Christ's ultimate universal church is to do our best to build up the local church. Okay, now remember how I define local church. It's anywhere where the people of God are gathered. So it could be doing your best to build up uh, Christ and his presence in your home. It could be here at 826 Eglinton. It could be in your midweek groups. It could be uh, with fellow Christians at work. And so what I want to do today for the rest of the time together, and I think what Paul speaks to in the passage is to answer the question, how do I build up Christ's church? And so I hope you can walk away with some helpful uh, practical ways to live out your faith, uh, specifically to build up Christ's church. So the first thing I want you to see with me is we need to aim for stability. We need to aim for stability. Where do I see this? Let's back up one verse uh, into last week's passage, verse 14. And Paul, generally, he's trying to encourage us, motivate us, to teach us that we need to be equipped to build up Christ's church uh, his body, and then he says to mature manhood, which is reflective, basically the picture of an epitome of mature manhood is Christ himself. Uh, he has beautiful wording of that, which we'll get into a bit later. Come back to that. 
And then he contrasts against maturity so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And here, Paul covers a a sort of a range of things that can throw us off. Now, when I think back to when I was a kid, for sure, this describes me. As a kid, I was more easily influenced by external pressures and just tossed to and fro. I was easily tempted to uh, do things that I shouldn't have done. You know, you can ask me about some stories of just even getting in trouble with the law and so forth. Um, And and just even looking at my own kids, just even emotionally, how they can be up and down uh, as I'm in the phase of parenting in life now. And so certainly Paul hit the nail on the head when he describes children that basically easily tossed to and fro by whatever external influences and pressures And he describes some of those things that we need to watch out for. But the point is, I want you to see that Paul is describing, uh, on one end, lacking maturity, and the essence of that being, being easily tossed to and fro. And that's why I'm saying that we need to aim for stability. Because now Paul says in verse 15, he starts, rather, instead, we need to be the opposite of this, which is stability. And so that could mean, I mean, for sure, Paul is first talking about a soundness of theology, a soundness of doctrine, and and thinking rightly about God and the gospel and our identity in him and as the church and our mission and our greatest goal while we're on this earth. But certainly that applies and that extends to just our daily living, our emotional stability, and, and it's a a trendy word in culture today to talk about our mental health and mental stability that way. But all in all, just to summarize, a stability being a good thing. Now Paul, he gets more specific, and he's going to say what stability means. And so to answer the question, how do I build up Christ's church? First, we need to aim for stability and stability, what it means is truthing in love. Now, that's not a real word in the English language, uh, but it is a real word in the Greek language uh, in which Paul wrote this letter. And I'll show you where that comes from. In most of our English translations, Paul says, rather, he just painted this picture of lacking maturity and being easily tossed to and fro, and now he's going to contrast that to what we should work towards. So rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. So this is the definition of stability. Speaking the truth in love. Now, where do we get the whole notion of truthing? This verb here, speaking the truth in love, in English, it's three words, but it it actually just literally in the Greek is truthing. The verb is to truth. It was a verb then to, to, to be truth, to live out truth, to speak truth. It, it was a beautiful word that we don't have in the English language that, that speaks of. And, and so if we translate it literally, rather truthing in love. So what does Paul mean? How did they understand this idea of truthing, to truth? So truthing is, first, in Paul's understanding, listening. Listening to God's truth, okay? It's taking in God's truth and then 
listening and taking in God's truth, you have to learn it. That's why earlier he says as well, I hope that you can all grow towards a knowledge, a knowledge, an understanding, a learning of who Jesus Christ is. But certainly then, it involves speaking God's truth and talking it out with one another. Sometimes even maybe challenging one another with God's truth. But it also means then, as a lifestyle, for yourself personally, for our own morality, to tell the truth. And Paul is going to actually get to that a few verses later as he just exhorts the Ephesians in everyday living, stop lying to one another, speak truth to one another. So it's not only speaking God's truth in terms of doctrine and theology and tenets of the gospel, but also living a life of telling the truth. And certainly truthing, it's meant to be an an embodiment of the truth, to actually live it out. Okay? Now, this is so important to, what's so important to understand is that Paul doesn't just say, Therefore, stability is, or rather, just truth. Truth one another. But he adds, in love. And so we need to understand why he puts the two together. Um, Truthing, if you can just, since Paul loves this analogy and metaphor of the body, imagine you you are just the world champion in muscle building. You know, you are uh, strong, strong. but imagine you are only muscle, <laughs> like no skin, no, 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 just, just muscle, right? Skeleton and muscle. Sure, you're strong, but in the end, that probably means you're dead, <laughs> okay? You're just a cadaver, that's skin. But fullness, wholeness is where you have that muscle, the truth, and it is clothed in something warm and living. And that's why Paul, and that would be analogous to love, And Paul says, truthing in love. And so let's contrast these two because some of us are prone to one or the other. Truthing, if it's only truthing, then your tendency will be to be enforcing standards for self and others. It's about being the law, being the police, if you're only about truthing. But in the end, the net effect is that we end up being crushed. And we end up crushing others if our only emphasis is truthing. Paul prescribes to us that it should be truthing in love. Now there are those, and we should appreciate those who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. Certainly, we need those people. But sometimes, if that's us, and I'm like that sometimes, we are conspicuously conspicuously lacking in love. We hear a heresy and our eyes begin to twitch. (laughs) We just know we have that radar. And it's good. We need those people in the church to be able to raise those red flags when something is going off in regards to truth, when something is going astray. But our Christian character can't be only about enjoying a fight. But others, we also make the opposite mistake. And we're determined at all costs to love at the sacrifice of truth. And so I love how Willie McDonald, a brethren theologian, puts it, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. 
Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And the apostle, Paul, he calls us to hold these together. Truthing in love. Now, if we're only about love, whereas truthing, we might just be about enforcing standards for self and others, uh, love is about brotherly affection that gently, compassionately tries to build up. But it can't be at the expense of truth as well. Because we can just unconditionally accept someone, but still at the end of the day, lead them away from, from what God expects of us. And love, to the extreme, whereas just truthing might be crushing the spirit, love, we can enable people to actually go off astray because we deceive them to think that everything's okay, that God will just, you know, he just accepts us in our sin. Again, the point is, and I can't emphasize this and repeat this enough today, maturity is stability, and stability is having these things in perfect harmony. True thing in love. And so we can't just be about true thing at the cost of brotherly love. We can't just be about brotherly love at the expense of truth. And what we need then, what maturity is, is true thing in brotherly love. Now, this is very important because the next thing that I want you to see with me that I believe Paul is trying to get us to understand and live out, how do I build up Christ church? True thing in love, what we have to understand is that true thing in love is the growth hormone. Okay? It's what is going to make us grow. It's what actually will make us grow and mature in our faith and as a human being. Paul, he, I think he says this very clearly when he continues on, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So first notice, we are too. One of the greatest goals for the Christ follower on this earth is to grow as much as we can in Christ-likeness toward Christ. Now let me back up and just even before Christ-likeness, to grow up into Christ, to to embrace Him, to know Him, to be loved by Him, to have Him as our vision for life, the meaning of life. And of course, to grow into embracing Christ's vision for life, for ourselves, for all of life, even as we have and, and adopt Christ's vision for life after this life, meaning the new creation. And of course, then part of that is to grow up into Christ-likeness. We are to grow up. Grow up. We are to grow up. Growth is the goal. And how we grow then is true thing in love. That's what is actually going to make us grow. Not just to coddle and, and stroke the back and say everything's going to be okay. You're unconditionally loved. Not just to uh, point out the clear truths and the boundaries of life and definition and God's commands and so forth, but to bring these together. And so what Paul is getting at here as well then is that Christ's instrument for our growth is the church. Is to be a part of the church. 
to be in relationship with one another, with other people of God. That's the whole greater context of, of Ephesians and, and this, uh, these verses and, and the extended paragraph. Paul's talking about being built up in the body of Christ. And so the way we're going to grow is to be connected to one another in Christ's family. We're to grow in His grace in this way. And so again, I can't repeat it enough today. I can't emphasize it enough. That true thing in brotherly love, that's the way for healthy growth. Now, let's pause and, and let me try to just make sure we're, we're getting the point. Bottom line, then this should be the norm for our community. This should be what is expected. For those of you who are part of a midweek gathering, it's meant to be so much more than just a mere Bible study. Your midweek new communities are meant to be circles of growth. And I hope that we can mature to the point that it's comfortable, that there's enough grace there, grace of Christ, that we can speak the truth to one another. We can at times challenge one another. But that it is so well couched. It, you make extra effort Almost to the point, now I, I don't see this necessarily prescribed explicitly in Scripture, but just from more from experience and, and, and anecdotal um, just experience and observation, for every one truth that we tried to challenge with one another, we need maybe like, you know, this is just more figuratively speaking, you know, ten times more to couch that in Christ's love as well. Because our hearts, our souls, our egos are, are, are still so fragile at times, are they not? But the point is, we need both. We need both. When we begin to love, if you've ever tried to deeply, truly love someone, whether in a Christian context or not, it's going to be both messy and blessed. That hard work of love. But what will guide you through is the truth. Okay? Because if it's only love, again, we kind of already went over it. You'll, you'll just enable. You'll, you could even uh, unintentionally or maybe intentionally lead someone down the wrong path. And again, if it's only truth, we, we just condemn for the messiness, but there's really no fruitfulness to that. And we leave a person more crushed than we found them. But is this the norm for our community here at Trinity Grace? On the receiving end, are you open to someone challenging you if they come with assuming that they're doing their best to speak truth in love? Are you open to that? A lot of us, it's like, no, we, we've got a, a boundary there. And maybe there are only a few people that you might let call you out on something. On the giving end, do we have the courage and the love? Because sometimes if we're not willing to confront, that shows perhaps that we don't actually love this person. We just, ah, they're not worth my time. I have enough things going on in my life. I, have I only have a limited amount of energy, and they're not worth my emotional uh, effort and so forth. And if you're not willing to, you've got to ask yourself, why? Why am I not willing to, to challenge to, to truth in love at times as well? 
goes both ways. But pastorally and somewhat prophetically, to, to confront us as a community, is this the norm? It should be the norm. Because Paul is saying this is the only way, this, this is the way. If you're a Mandalorian fan, this is the way, right? For Christians, this is the way. Paul is saying this is the way that we are going to fulfill God's vision for his church, to grow up into the full measure and stature of Christ, to mature manhood, truthing in brotherly love. Now, what is a guiding light, a guiding star, a compass then for us, is that the goal of our growth is Jesus Christ. If we keep that right directly in front of us, kind of like uh, uh, just a, uh, just a, uh, a prize horse that has blinders and just is focused on the finish line and runs hard and wins, for us as well, we need the goal of our growth to be the person Jesus Christ. If we all just keep our eyes on him. And I think Paul says this, we are to grow up in every way, notice, into. Into who? Him, Jesus, who is the head. Into Christ. And so our goal is Christ. To keep looking at the person Jesus. If all of us, despite our differences, continue to look at Jesus and not some imitation or substitute for Jesus, and I could go on and on. Like The list is endless. What we might instead make more important than Jesus in our relationships with one another and what actually makes us uh, you know, be in contention with one another because we've made something else more important than Jesus himself. And so Paul says here, we're to grow up in every way into Christ who is our head. And notice as well, from where we're going to ultimately find the ability to mature and grow and to speak truth and love is that from Christ we continually receive this energy, this, this grace, this life, and it's from Christ the head that goes into the body and from the whole body that the whole body is able to actually grow, that we're actually joined together. Christ, if you want to use the, just continue to, the, the metaphor of the body, Christ is is, is the life, is the blood. It, it's, it's, he is the one that actually holds us all together through his spirit. And so Paul plays on this beautiful, almost mystical metaphor of the body, Christ's body, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, and so here, even though it's from Christ, we have to do our part again. It's both and. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there it is again clearly. Paul is emphasizing that it has to be both and. True thing in love. Now what love is, is Paul referring to? Again, this brings it full circle because the from from whom is, is Christ's love. It's Christ's love that needs to flow through us. To love one another as he has loved us. 
You could say that God probably, not probably, I, I believe, um, truly, actually, has in history the most gripe, the most uh, right to bring out differences with us. Right? You could say that God is, is actually the diametric opposite of us as human beings in every way. But what does he do? He loves us in Christ. He reaches out and he reconciles us while we are still sinners to himself. That's the love of God in Christ. And that's what's supposed to, to fuel all of this. Now I want to go back to um, verse 13 from last week. Because Paul basically in different words, uh, this is all part of the same flow of thought. And, and he says it so beautifully back in 13, what he's still talking about in verse 15 and 16. And so he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I want to remind us, for me, still after a week, the, the most helpful image, tell me, appreciate what Paul is talking about here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, is this picture of, of kids you know, dancing around a maypole and, and all these streams that seem different, that seem chaotic at first, but beautifully what's actually happening is that as they go around this center reference point, there's a pole there that is anchored, that does, isn't tossed to and fro. And as we dance around that center pole, that center truth, so to speak, it all comes together and creates something beautiful, a beautiful picture. And this center pole, and this past week, a friend uh, sharpened me and realized I, last week I showed that there were four majors, and I think there are more than four. And the majors, that, that sent, what could de describe that center pole is what Paul speaks of earlier, that we're to be one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And what I want you to notice is that these majors are organized around our God himself. You see it? One Spirit, Lord, the Son, and Father. Our oneness is supposed to flow out of who God is himself. And so just to quickly remind us, being one body is about growing into our head Jesus. Being one uh, of one spirit is being animated by Jesus and his spirit. Having one hope is, is looking forward to entering the eternal kingdom of Jesus and, and having his new creation, his final government as our ultimate hope. Having one Lord is worshiping King Jesus as the one king of all kings. One faith it's being justified. It's speaking to how we're saved, being justified by being in union with Jesus by grace, not by our own works, placing faith in what he's done. One baptism speaks to our new covenant life through Jesus, to, to, to live life according to God's final, um, just declared way to relate to him by grace through Jesus. 
of course, one God and Father of all. It speaks to God's sovereignty over history, over everything, and God being Father, our belovedness in Jesus. That's just to remind us of what's at the center, what should be bringing us all together despite our seeming differences. And so related to that, there are some assumptions, I believe, that are in these words that we've been studying today and meditating on. They're assumptions of unity of the Spirit. And the first assumption that I want us to, I I hope you'll see with me, is that Jesus Christ is the center pole. Okay? He's our reference point. And the majors that, that come out, that, that Paul has outlined here for the church. Christ Jesus is the center pole. He's our reference point. Assuming the majors, there is nothing that should divide us. Even COVID and politics. And I just bring that up because it's, it's in our face, even as Trinity Grace Church. Assuming the majors, ultimately there's nothing that should divide us. And if we are divided, then we're missing the mark. Because we're saying that these majors are not enough for us to obey and live out, uh, building up Christ's church as he's called us to, despite differences. What it also assumes then that we must make space for healthy, rigorous relationship that truths in love. Okay? That's kind of one big point of what Paul is saying today. It's going to involve truthing in love. It's going to, love is going to be messy while it is also blessed if you push through with Christ's love and grace. But we have to make space for those healthy rigorous relationships, that truth and love. Next, there will be differences amongst us. There will be. Just assume it. There will always be differences amongst us. Remember, when we say church, even it could be your family. There are going to be differences under your roof. There are going to be differences with your Christian friends. There are going to be differences in Trinity Grace Church until Christ calls us home until we all attain to the unity in Christ. And another assumption that none of us and all of us, or what what did I write here? None of us, all of us have more to grasp. So, sorry, typo here. I don't know who my editor is. They need to be fired. Um, (laughs) All of us have more to grow and have an imperfect theology until Christ calls us home, okay? All of us, just ignore the none of us. (laughs) All of us will have more to grow until Christ calls us home. And finally, what happens when there are differences, usually there's a majority and there's a minority, but both the majority and minority equally need grace. If you're the majority, you have to avoid the temptation to just uh, push the minority to the side and, and just um, disregard. But the minority also need to look on the majority with grace. And so I love what Paul says, how he describes that, that, that phrase, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and I love this beautiful description of Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so I just put up some images from last week's message to kind of just repeat the thought. Our, our culture certainly has its own notions of people of stature and people we should look up to. I love that scene in Forrest Gump where he's running and people are crowding around him and, and people even saying, I get it. I want to join your cause. I, I get what you're doing. And, and in Forrest Gump running and the person Forrest Gump, they're finding meaning because we're all looking for that. But what Paul is leaving the church and what, what God wants us to know is that who should be on the cover there, who should be the one actually running, who has run the race of faith for you and me to the point of death on a cross for our sins, is Jesus. And as we all dance around Jesus, as we all continue to keep Him as the center, He'll bring us all together and we will grow up as we truth in love. And so keep pursuing Christ because as you and I, as we sang earlier today, there's a beautiful moment as we were singing, you are the treasure that I seek. To give up, I'd be a fool. You're my all in all. There's something good that happens and, and God will fulfill His plan for the church, for little local churches like Trinity Grace Church, for the universal church as we keep Christ at the center. So would you join me? And let's close this message just by praying this prayer together. Let's read this together even as we pray it from our hearts. Lord, help me to do my part to build up your church.